0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash loss.
1: Cavalry Audio. I'm Clint Emerson, and welcome to Season 2 of Can You Survive This Podcast, where the interview is just as dangerous as the scenarios I put my guests through. From hostage situations to natural disasters, carjackings, active shooters, and more, if you're looking for the skills necessary to survive these situations, then this is the show for you. Welcome to another episode of Can You Survive This Podcast, where I victimize my guests with dangerous interviews and even more dangerous scenarios. So the producer sent me the target package. Let me check out and see who we've got today. Oh, this one's a heavy package. This one's like, and I'm not talking about the one between your legs. Okay. So don't you guys out there start thinking that, uh, this package is thick. Oh, and girthy. Look at this thing. Okay. So let's read about this guest. All right. Chris Tonto Peranto, right? Father, husband, 75th Ranger, GRS, author of The Ranger Way, The Patriot's Creed, 13 Hours. Whoa, what a little bio there, and he's accomplished a lot in a short period of time. On top of that, I'm seeing here that he's got several degrees to include a master's, uh, and it looks like he was enlisted and then went to the dark side as an officer. Chris, Tonto, Peronto, welcome to the show. Tonto, how are you doing?
0: Good, brother. I, I hope my wife heard all that because she's laughing right now. She's
1: going, really? <laughs> really? Man? Yeah. yeah you, you wrote your own bio there, didn't you, honey? That's what she's going to say to me. Yeah, yeah. No, these guys are really good at pulling everything off uh off that off the dark web because we know you hang out there a lot, right? It's it's the only place to be in the dark
0: web, on the dark <laughs> side, the dark web. And you said pulling and girth and longness. I mean, we we're throwing all those all those yeah, words in no, there, I'm, man.
1: I, you know, I I haven't taken a shower with you yet, but I'm just I'm just guessing here, I'm just guessing. Yeah, but no. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate your time, and uh, you know, I couldn't think of a better guest to have on this show than someone who's actually survived uh, a nightmare. Right? I mean, they say thirteen hours, but I mean, it was it was probably a little longer than that, right?
0: Well, yeah, it, it, well, it's well, a few hours, a few hours longer. Um, yeah, but, but yeah, I call it a nightmare, and, and call it, and, and you know, you you you've been in the, you know, what I'm talking about you. You've been with the teams. You've you've done your own share of share of stuff out there um but you know it's I guess it's just how you look at it I enjoyed it I was having a blast I was having fun um you know being left behind is no fun but you know kind of that's why we do the things we do you know we we sign up for it and I had and I and I had a great team I mean that helped yeah. a bunch if it was just me maybe my mind would be god that sucked but when I had a team that I could rely on there it, it made it fun it did it made it amazing an amazing experience so But yeah, there there are some nightmarish aspects about it. But when you work with the U.S. government, especially politicians in D.C., yeah, you're going to run into that. And you know it just as well as I do.
1: Right. And for those that don't maybe know, which would be crazy if they didn't, and I know that you've talked about this uh, Benghazi several times. So give the Cliff Notes version for those that this is our first time to hear about Benghazi, what happened in your role, you know, give us a quick little, that version you've probably said a thousand times. I'm sorry to make you say it again. It's not a problem
0: and it keeps the memories of Roan and Bub alive as well.
1: Right. I agree. We'll dig into them too.
0: But uh, I was with, like you said, GRS, Global Response Staff, that's the security operatives or agents or whatever the cool guy word you want to use, officers of the Central Intelligence Agency. And we were in Libya at that time just doing what we usually do, which is protection, surveillance, counter surveillance, low profile protection, very low vis uh, And then also doing um, uh, you getting the layouts and the atmospherics of the city, which we would pass on daily. Uh, now, now, unbeknownst to us until we really got there, our main objective there was to provide weapons and get weapons and move, move Saddam's weapons around that region. Um, legal or not, that's a, that's something the that D.C. will have to explain, or they have tried to explain or not explain. Uh, but uh, when we were there that evening, it was uh, an attack on the U.S. consulate. We were at the annex, which is about three-quarters of a mile away from the consulate. It was attacked. Uh, we responded to the attack. There was six of us, tremendous team. We had a uh, two Navy SEALs, three Marines, and myself as the, this is the Lone Ranger. Man, I was Tonto and the Lone Ranger at the same time. How about that? (laughs) I didn't know.
1: (laughs) Um, That's pretty
0: cool. But, but um, we responded and the attack was pulled off by Al Qaeda in the Maghreb, AQI, uh, AQIM, and then Ansar al-Sharia, which later melded into what we know as ISIS now. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, it it, it was, uh, it was just a 13 hours of, and it wasn't continual. I think any firefight where you're at it continually, there's it's just like a boxing match there's punches and there's lulls, and there's punches and there's lulls, right. and that's what it was. It was, but we had five distinct separate firefights that night. The last one we were, I, we didn't have the ability to counter it, it was with mortars. Um, you know, if we would've got the air support we asked for, I think we wouldn't have got mortared that evening, but the last attack, I think they were more inclined to like, Hey, we're not going to try to get anybody, which is what they were initially trying to do is just take somebody trying to get a prisoner, a high value target, which the ambassador Chris Stevens was. And, uh, he was huge target for them. when they found out that they were losing too many bodies and they just couldn't get that person, steal that person, use them as propaganda primarily the amb- ambassador who they were trying to get, they brought in the big guns, which we couldn't defend. And they yeah. dropped eight 81 millimeter mortars on us, which killed Ron and Bub, and severely injured Dave Ubin, who was the U S state department security officer and Mark Osgeist, who was the Marine that was with us there. And then, um, then we were able to finally get out of there with the help of, and for those that don't know it, it, it never came out in the movie. We didn't put it this way. Um, but it, it's in Trey Gatti's select committee report. Um, that's where I found out about it. I didn't even know these guys, but these guys, the militia that came to, came to help us that I had to throw the little jumbo signed up to, they were Omar Qaddafi's, uh, Omar Qaddafi loyalists that had, that came and rescued us and actually took thought. out the mortar team. I know. Isn't it ironic, isn't it? That's why we were there to overthrow Qaddafi. Yet we were saved by Omar Qaddafi. Um, <laughs> How much money were they paid? Oh, <laughs> uh, and they, you know, they were, I, I, I know they were paid a lot, a ton. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Then, but they also, you know, they also took out that mortar team for us, which why we didn't keep getting hit. And I, I I didn't know it that night at the time, all I was like, oh, thank God those mortars are stopped because we wouldn't have been able to do anything else. They could have just, they could have just turned our, our compound into dust if they just, if they'd wanted to, because they were fire for effect, they were right on target. Man. And, um, and then we got out and Uh, got out of Benghazi and went to Tripoli and did our little uh, two hours of shower and eat. And then we got on a plane flew to Germany. And then I did my normal two months home. And then I went back out and the rest of us did, except for Oz, we went back out to Lebanon and Yemen respectively uh, where we, and we, uh, Mm -hmm. and then after about six, seven months of just seeing the, uh, the story bastardized, seeing it manipulated, seeing it utilized for political purposes, seeing it being a call to conspiracy and then also finding out that politicians were lying to the family members of, of the fallen. Mm-hmm. That's when the team, and it was a team decision. If any of us had dissented, we weren't going to do it, but we made a decision as a team. Are we going to tell the truth? Or are we just going to let this continue to be, a be, yeah. be, be turned into something that it wasn't for the sake of politics. And, uh, and we just said, well, the hell with it. We're going to say something. And we knew, we knew the consequences would be, we knew that we would have been fired, which we were, we were all released from the agency and our contracts and our security clearances were all suspended. Uh, DOD, DOS and ISSA, which is the NSA and CIA security clearances. And, uh, but you know, there, you can't put a price on integrity. At least I believe you can. And
1: No. Yeah. And I, i I commend you guys. You got to come out and tell the truth and you're, uh, giving up a lot to do so. Um, you know, applause to you and and everyone else that did it for the sake of one truth. And then when guys die, definitely you're doing the right thing, uh, especially for those families. Um, you know, I've got some questions that are pretty pointed about it now, the accurate mortar fire, you know, and of course I only know hearsay, but I'm curious, was it, you know, I'll back up a second. So for those of you that don't know when an embassy or a consulate goes into country, uh, they're there to show the flag diplomacy and what they do from time to time is they hire locals. You can be landscaping. It could be service providers of varying degrees and those service providers have access. Um, and that access, uh, you know, uh, can be, is obviously for good, uh, because we economically want to give back to the country that we are sitting on. Um, and then, but sometimes These service providers can be bad guys, and we don't know it. So I heard because that because of the accuracy of the mortar fire, that maybe some of the landscaping service providers you guys had witnessed you you saw them meet, but literally walking the line and taking measurements, right? It was it was actually the
0: security element. The guys that that did him out right when we got back from the concert got on the annex. The movie shows guys leaving, and I I, I even said I said where the fuck are you guys going? Because I saw him taking <laughs> yeah. off, and I'm on the radio like, hey, we just we just lost our fucking security force, man. We just lost everybody. Where they? And and I wasn't shocked more because sp- we hadn't properly vetted them. Yeah. And when we worked at other bases, whether it be coast or Kandahar, Afghanistan. I think we had it, got we got it down right working with the indigenous, working with the locals there, because we had a rapport with like the Kandar Security Force, the Coast Security Force, even yeah. Kabul. We had a rapport with the with the uh, uh, with the Afghani National Army who helped us protect parts of of Kabul as well. We didn't have that in Mugazi and it was a problem. And we, we talked to our chief quite a bit. I'm like, hey, we need to go start training with these guys. We need to start building this rapport, going out the range and shooting with them, talking to them. I mean, I, it got to the point where I, I myself and Tig it mm-hmm. would, and the movie's spot on, uh, you know, with, with the Snickers, taking Snickers to him. And I had a guard, I called him Snickers because I walked in there and I just started wanting to get to know him. And, uh, and keep in mind, this is six months after the base had already been established because I had been working in Tripoli before Benghazi. So yes, definitely. They were, they were part And 17 Feb was, was not a friend of friendly militia. They were part of Ansar Sharia, And I, I don't know, I don't know what the, what the, the, uh, what the mindset was with the agency, but they knew, and we had told them and we had told them based on our experiences working throughout the world already. And, mm-hmm. and they just failed to listen. And so, yeah, they had that thing marked because building C, too, if you're going to hit anything on our base, that's the building you want to hit, which is the one they hit. That had the most people in it, that had that had our skiff in it, that had most of our nods, most of our comma equipment because of the skiff that was in there. And at that point in time, and I don't know if this was lucky or not, as far as up on the rooftop, that we had the most people up on the rooftop that night, too. So building C... if that if you and I were gonna right. say, Hey, let's let's mark our let's go ahead and do our our, our, our target reference points here, that was gonna be designated alpha. That's the one you want to hit first. Then right. you start building out and uh yeah, yeah.
1: That takes that takes point being is that takes insider knowledge. It does, it does right. to get to get the damn ten digit
0: grid to hit it right dead center, which they did. And that first one hit, and so how do I know that this was spot on? Well, the first one hit ten meters off and then it was just drop, it drop corrected. ten dropped in correct and fire for effect. in the next four, boom, boom, boom. I mean, it was, and I watched it. I asked people, oh, how do you know? Well, Cause I was shooting over their heads and I watched every mortar hit while I was shooting when my nods came back from, from being just whited out. right? And, and, and it's like, no, there's, there's no other reason. And they did it. They did also a, that car that came up with the three guys in it that I, I wanted to shoot. Um, Uh, they were just referencing their checks with and cell phones are so awesome nowadays and overseas. It seems like their cell phones are even better than what we have here because there aren't any requirements. They're plugging grids and getting coordinates and the security film that they're definitely, definitely worked with them throughout the uh, throughout that whole time there at Tripoli to establish and get a layout of the base. They, they're not stupid. They do They do what they have available to them and human intelligence. They're better at it than we are in their own countries because that's their backyard. Yeah, and they all have their families and tribes there. It's the same in Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Libya, Yemen. Everywhere you go, they got the human intelligence gathering down, and they use it to their advantage. And that was a, that that was pointed right there. DC didn't understand it though. So when we went in and told them, the 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 lawyers, the the little college boy interns that are working with the congressmen, they didn't understand that. And they still don't understand it or they just choose not to understand it to say, oh, no, it was just it was just a coincidence. So (laughs) I think even General Petraeus said he did. Actually, I remember because Tig was pissed off. General Petraeus even said when he he said that the thing was probably put on the back of a truck and they probably were shooting the mortar off the back of a Hilux. I'm like, General, you need to you need to get your Ranger tab pulled off for that shit. That's just (laughs) are you kidding? How did you get through Ranger school with that sort of mindset? You can't do that. Yeah. So, yeah, brother, it, 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 it was definitely locked on fire for effect. They had that grid down and they had the right building and they they tagged it and they and they caused it a lot wow. of damage.
1: Yeah. Um, now, Ambassador Stevens, right? There was a lot of rumors going around on how he died and whether he was actually captured short term, long term, tortured, cra- shit, crammed up his ass. Remember all the stuff that went around? I mean, it was insane. So what was it? It was smoke inhalation at the end of the day?
0: What we saw, and we had tried to find him. We found Sean. I should say we, Jack Jack found Sean. Jack and Dave Ubin. Dave was the one security officer that he did an excellent job until he about lost his arm and leg. Um, but they had found him, and, uh, and Tyrone was in there looking for him as well. Brother, I remember going in there myself because we were taking turns. The movie showed Jack and Tyrone because they did the most turns in there. But mm-hmm. each of us took turns going in there because you had to play Marco Polo to find your way back out of it. So it wasn't no, like yet. you could... And So it was like running. And I remember my turn when I first did, I wasn't ready. I, 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 I've been around fire before, but not like that with diesel smoke and in that enclosed area. And I remember if like, I ran through the double doors and I just hit a wall and it just was like, wow, my body, I wasn't expecting, it was like that force field of heat and smoke. And I, I wasn't ready for it. And I'm wearing shorts too, which probably didn't help, but I, I hit that and, I was like, holy shit, that's that's a, like a pizza oven. I thought in my head, that's what I equated it to. And I went, okay, get in there. And I took a breath, held it, I ran in, and you're just feeling around and and we got as far back as we could, but we couldn't get back to his the safe room, which really was his bedroom. It was back in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, Sean had managed to crawl into the hallway, which is why we were able to find and just you know feel around and grab Sean Sean out. But the ambassador, from what I remember, And I, we initially thought, yeah, he was out. That's why we, granted, we made that decision to get back to our compound when it was going to get overrun. Um, But, and we, we really felt bad about it because I felt like we'd left him, his body, but then we got word of what happened. And we had friends around the U.S. consulate there. We had locals that were, you know, you you make friends, we live on the economy, you start to make friends with people. And actually the guy, the picture of him pulling it out is a little, 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 buddy we had there that found him yeah. and yanked him out. And yeah, he was dead of smoke inhalation. Um, I did look at his body. The, the movie showed it briefly and it was right where they brought his body and it was in a, in a, in a bag. I remember unzipping his body because that's what I wanted to look at being a ranger and, and remembering our lineage from blackhawk down with Randy Shug- uh, with Randy Shugart and Gary Gordon. Um, I wanted to make sure that he wasn't desecrated. I wanted to make sure that he wasn't, wasn't like drugged through the streets because that that's hammered into us when we go through Ranger Doc It's like, Hey, yeah. there will not be another Somalia. Let's learn from Somalia and what happened. And so I remember I unzipped the bag and he, yeah, he, his face looked fine. Didn't look like it was scratched up. Hair was fine. Um, he was dead. Of course, he still had some black soot on his face. I didn't. You know, maybe I should have. I didn't look at his genitals. So I don't know. I, I don't think from my appearance, looking at how he looked, it didn't look like they could cut off his balls. Like the report said, Yeah. but without me looking right at him, I'll say 99% sure they didn't. But yeah, you can only be 100% sure if you look right at him. But I I, I don't feel he was desecrated. He is. He was died of smoke inhalation. Locals pulled him out when the fighting moved to our compound and the fire had died down that they were mm-hmm. able to get in there. And our, uh, and Tig, I think can even corroborate that as well, because he looked at his body as well. I didn't. And he said, I didn't see any Tig can't can't. What did I say? Maybe he can't, he can corroborate it because he looked at his body as well. We didn't see any desecration, but the genitalia cutoffs, which, you know, they were, they shoved a, shoved a knife off Gaddafi's butt. I mean, to to say that's out of the realm of possibility, no, it's not. It's possible, but I, I didn't see it. I didn't see anything bloody or, down yeah. in that area that would, yeah, yeah. That would have alerted me. That
1: Damn. Yeah. Well, it's good to kind of hear the ground truth. That's for sure. On a lot of this stuff, you know, so, you know, in the middle of this, let's kind of fast forward to today. And as you reflect, what would you say the top three to five skills that saved your life that would apply to a listener right now? Uh, medical huge first, you know, getting tourniquets,
0: tourniquets, tourniquets, tourniquets. Uh, even though I hated Roan, he was our medic. I I didn't hate Roan, but I hated (laughs) Roan for what he would always do. You you know, the medics, man, we always got to train. We always got to train. And I remember, you know, two weeks before the attack that he made us go do a, the whole base. We're doing base medical training. Like, damn it. Roan did I don't want to be out in the sun, dude. It's like, no, get out there. We're doing base medical training. Shit. All right. And we did tourniquets. We did massive bleeds. We did we did arms and legs dis- right. dis- dismembered, and how to put on <clears throat> tourniquets. And that's what saved Dave and Oz. And, and Oz, you know, that's what saved their lives was those tourniquets. So medical and tourniquets. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I you you know you do that. You do the T Triple C and remember that. But I, you know, tourniquets are your best friend when when you have a massive. One. That's what's going to save your life. And and I I was appreciative of that. And I and you know being in that situation there, and I know it now. Um, you know, the, the, making sure your equipment works, um, that was one failure that I had that night is that we didn't have a chance really to zero in our, our IRs, our, our app peels, our infrared lasers that we had on our, our weapon systems. Mm-hmm. So, um, when I took the first shot at about, it was about a, a 50 meters. My, I, you could still see when you have nods on guys, you can see the strike of the round. If you miss, you can see the round fragments pops. And I remember I was right on it with my laser and it hit and I was, my bolt was a 10 meters off. It was off. Oh, wow. about. I was like, oh, shit. Well, note to self check your stupid equipment, Ranger. <laughs> oh my God. I, like, I mean, come on. Man. And you know, yeah. luckily for me, you're able to the Kentucky windage and I just Kentucky windages windage did. And then I just kept shooting. And then eventually, you know, I was like, screw it. I'll just turn it off. Cause they were getting so close that I could just see him with my, with my, uh, cause we had, we had the EO with night vision on them. And yeah. I was just, tag them and then, okay, get my night vision. And my EOTech was on. So, um, but hey, to your guys, check your equipment, make sure it works <laughs> before you get into it. And and that's a, you know, and that's, that that's coming from somebody that had been already deploying for 10, 11 years, uh, 10 years at that point. And mm-hmm. I still, you know, I, I got lazy. I took stuff for ground, but I'll be honest with you. I got, I got lazy and we didn't have a range to do it. So it really didn't have an easy place to go. We had to drive out in the desert to do it, but I relied on my equipment and, uh, uh, and it didn't fail me. I failed it. Uh, but in the meantime, though, luckily, because of doing this for a long period of time and, and being around, uh, knowing how to handle my weapon system and being able to adjust fire, I was able to, to adjust fire and make the hits. Um, but that is a note to self and that's a note to people. Make sure your equipment works. People go out and buy these great guns, great knives, great everything but then when they get to have to employ them, I see them in the ranges, training ranges, they don't know how to employ them or they don't mm-hmm. know how to use them. And, and uh, you always got to know your equipment. So that's huge, you know, and, and that's, from a, that's, from a, that's from a season. I wouldn't even call myself season at that point. That's a rookie mistake that, that somebody shouldn't make that I made. Um, yeah. and, and last but not least, also be in shape. Fitness, man. Holy <laughs> shit, you got to have fitness. It doesn't matter if it's a quick hit, uh, quick hit altercation which I was in, in Iraq and Afghanistan, just quick, quick little things, or a long period of time, you're adrenaline. And you know, as good as I do, just for, I mean, I see your training videos on Instagram, seeing the stuff you do, your adrenaline spikes and you're breathing and everything goes up. And if you're not, if you're not fit, you will get taxed. Even if the fight lasts for, you know, what's a boxing round, three minutes. Oh, if you yeah. have a sea fight, three minutes. That's hell. And that's, I mean, that's, that's what you have to be ready for that three minute fast pace. And, Then if it keeps going, you'll settle into a flow, which Benghazi kept going. So we're able to kind of, you know, it's that first, first mile sprinting your ass off. You're going to die. But if you just hold on that first mile, it's going to even out. That's, I learned that's Ranger Indoc. That's, that's going, okay, we we got through it. Now we're fine. What's the same thing, but you got to be in shape to handle that. And fitness is huge. And you can think clearly because your brain's not feeling like it's going to explode because you're breathing, you're controlling it and you're able to manage the adrenaline better. Um, the fight or flight responses, because you're in shape, because you can go <sighs> and settle down. So, and, and fitness, man, um, I was still in pretty good shape then. Uh, I still, I still maintain my fitness, but it really did help, especially that night climbing over walls. And we, we did clear, actually, we, me and uh, Boone cleared two four-story buildings that night, not just one and clearing, you know, clearing buildings. Oh. Granted with two people, we're not clearing every room. We're just trying to, Get up the stairs and get a get to our, our objective or where we need to be to put uh, put uh, suppress a suppressive fire in the compound. But it's taxing, it, it's tiresome, and if you don't, you're not in shape. You're gonna make a mistake. Your brain's not gonna think clearly. Something's gonna go haywire in, inside, and, and because you're breathing so hard, you're just you're gonna make a uh, you're gonna make a wrong decision. I, I don't believe in instincts. I believe that your brain's always working. To me, instincts say your brain shuts down. I don't believe that. I believe your brain is always firing but you have to give your brain the best chance for success to think of the right thing to do or remember whatever that habit forming movement is. And if you're out of shape, you're setting yourself up for failure. So fitness was, fitness was huge. And I was very lucky that, that I was in good shape, but even a guy in good shape, I, I was wearing out. I was wearing right. out and I was on adrenaline a lot of that just to get me through it until I was able to eat the Snicker bars. And then I turned, you know, I I got out of my Rosie O'Donnell phase and I started to be happy when I started eating those Snickers.
1: <laughs> yeah. Dude, I'm all over it. Yeah. Maybe we can get them as a sponsor. Keep saying it. Snickers, Snickers. But uh yeah, I mean to compliment you, I mean, awesome tips, right, that apply to today. Tourniquet. Who would have thought pre nine eleven, tourniquets were like last resort then we get into combat and now they are first resort it's the first thing you do for any kind of extremity massive bleeder and there's a rule that comes with this that everyone should know and that is go high or die. You want to put that tourniquet on as high up the extremity as possible, regardless of where the bleeding is occurring and then crank it down until the bleeding stops. Do you, I mean, you agree? Or you-
0: I agree. And yeah. you know that, that's, a, that was a hard habit to break because when we first were in, I know I, I'm not dating you I know we're both the same age, so I'm not saying yeah, we're yeah. old. I'm just saying, but you know, when we first went in, it was two inch, it was it, That was a hard habit for us old heads to break that right. two inch rule or the two fingers above. And yeah. man, it took me forever. It took me a lot of no-goes to finally break that training scar that I had of two minutes. But yeah, now, high, and it makes it easy. Just go high. Yeah. Don't worry about the measurement. Don't worry about it. Just go high, high on the extremity. And that's work. So yes, definitely agree with that, but that's not how I was taught originally. And it took a while for me to break that training scar. I had,
1: I'm, I'm with you. I was an 18 Delta guy, you know, for those of you who don't know, that's the special operations medical school and one of the best schools that the army has without a doubt. Um, and it, when I went through the first time, you know, re- tourniquets, no bad, you know, direct pressure, pressure points, elevate all that stuff. Um, and then in the middle of all the nightmares that we all went through, yeah, you know, all of a sudden it's, oh no, we're using these damn things because it was proven time and time again. You could put a tourniquet on for 96 hours and there wasn't any tissue damage. There was no nerve damage, no vessel damage. Everything's good to go. So for those of you out there, make sure you got a tourniquet in your car, your purse, your backpack, whatever you got going on. All right. You, you will not go wrong having one. Equipment um yeah you bring up a great point which follows a saying that haunts us our entire career you take care of your equipment and your equipment will take care of you <laughs> right <laughs> still kicking myself i yeah. i'm glad i can i'm glad i lived through and i can talk about
0: it but it was it was a it was a shoot the ramen over here and it was a homer <laughs> simpson right when i did it. homer simpson dope oh what the hell i am oh yeah. you lazy you caught cussing myself out and and it's just not the guns either. It's it's all your equipment. I got yeah. people coming in with holsters that aren't right, guys, people that come in where their slings are way off. And if you're going to use it and carry it, then make sure you know how to use it and it functions for you. Not because it functions for me, may not work for you.
1: Right. No, that's a great point. And then training goes along with all of that, knowing your gear and how to use it, especially know how to use it in the dark. You know, blindfold yourself and make sure you know how to use it in the dark. So that's survival radios, anything you got in your house. You know, it's a fun game to play with the family, but just make sure you know how to palpate that equipment and know where the buttons and features are uh, in order to get yourself through whatever that emergency is. And then fitness, man, I've put this in every single one of my books, and it's the reason, the reason why I do it is what you nailed is that being able to survive a crisis starts with human performance. You have to be in shape. You've got to be able to not just pick yourself up off the ground, but pick a loved one up as well, or a friend, or a stranger. Um, man, great points, and I think they all apply today, and I don't think people uh, concentrate enough on the basics because what we're talking about is basic, right? It's it's 101 stuff. <laughs> um, God, such good stuff, valuable input. Is there anything else, you know, from that experience now that you've had time to really think about it a lot, talk about it a lot. I, I, I do. I, you
0: know, I, you know, I, I always throw my faith in there, but really you know, and I always say, Hey, just always have faith. Hey, faith increases your luck. Don't look at it. Oh, this is going to last forever. Just look at the next minute. Let's get to that. Look to the next five minutes. Let's get through that. Let's go to the next 10 minutes. Let's beat that. It's, it's uh, where people find hopelessness. And I was so blessed again, to ha- have that happen after experiencing 10 years of, right. of learning in those environments and being lucky enough that I, was, I came home, but being, okay, what did I do wrong? What did I do right? That when that happened, the ability to just take a step back and, and just say, okay, don't worry about when it's going to end because you can get a feeling of hopelessness with that comes on. Man, are we going to be left here? Because we didn't know if anybody was coming. And if it right. was that point where if I thought, man, nobody's coming, then the hopelessness sets in. Then all the negatives start to take you down. Then your performance, it goes with it. Everything. It was, all right, I we can get, we're here. Let's enjoy it. I can experience this. My world opened up. I accepted the fact I was in that situation. I was, I was just, I, like I said, it was, it was awesome because I was able to go, okay, let's just get through the next minute. All right, we're yeah. going to do this. Let's get through the next, next two minutes. Let's get, let's get to the next hour. All right, here they come. All right, let's. Take them out here. After we knock them off here, let's get a little break, eat a lot of Snickers, let's wait for them again. And it it was never of of man, I we need to get out of here. We need to get out of here. It was let's just go. Let's just let's just keep chugging along, keep chugging along. And eventually we're gonna win this fight. I mean, there's never, it's never of we're gonna lose. It's just I'm not gonna say when I'm gonna win, but we're hmm. gonna win it, but we're gonna keep freaking plodding along until we do. I think that that comes from the special operations community and all the vetting stuff we go through. Right. You know, it, it. You don't know if you're going to make it. And, and that's one thing with either Rip and Ranger School. And I know they do that with, with, with the, with the buds and they do it with Raiders and, or, or force recon, whatever they're calling themselves now is that SF, it's the same thing. They don't tell you, you made it or not. It's just Okay. Do your best. Did I, am I doing well? Yeah. Keep going. Am I doing well? You, you don't need to know. What are you worried about? You're doing well. Just keep fucking going. It is. And it was that, that training leading up that just, okay, let's just get to the next day. Let's just get to the next hour. Let's just get to the next minute. Let's win this next minute. Let's win this next five minutes. Let's win this next 10 minutes. That kept me going that night. And the rest of the guys, because all of us were special ops guys. So I take, take Oz were infantry guys. That's fine. Hey, but they got the same mindset of the Marine infantry. But all of us also were in our 40s, all of us had been multiple deployments. So every one of us had that mindset of let's just watch each other's backs and just keep moving forward. And that's what we did. And until eventually it was, shit, somebody's coming for us. So it was almost a shock. Like, right. Oh my, hey, we might get out of here. Yeah. And that just pumps you up even more. And then like, oh God, we are going to get out of here. And then you just get the more motivation. It's like running a race and you start at the beginning. I love running races, starting at the beginning and starting to reel people in starting to catch them. It motivates yeah. me. Cause you're, you're just like, all right, got this one, got this one. It's the same thing that night. And so I would tell people in a bad situation, accept the fact you're in that situation, accept the fact that that situation is where you're supposed to be and just relax, open your mind, take it all in and just continue to do things you need to, to either stay alive, keep a loved one alive or, bring it to a close, but don't ever expect it. It's going to end at this time because when it doesn't, or if it doesn't, your morale will drop like that. You're like, holy shit. I was ready for it to end. It didn't. Now what do I do? And then you got to reset your own OODA loop. So you're setting yourself up for failure right there. Yeah. So it, and that, that comes from the community and working yeah. with guys like yourself that had that same mindset of, let's just get through it man let's enjoy this shit embrace the suck let's get through it and yeah we're gonna win we're gonna win but i don't know when but we're gonna win eventually
1: (laughs) yeah well like they say in the medical world all bleeding eventually
0: stops (laughs) (laughs) that is true
1: it eventually stops whether it's somebody doing it for you or you just bleed out but it does end yeah,
0: <laughs> Deltas are some sick motherfuckers, I tell you what.
1: Yeah, we try. We try. Um, no, that's that's all great input, and I agree, man. I mean, I know in BUDS for us, and that's where it begins, is in training of the of getting used to being let down, right? I mean, because as soon as you get used to it, then all of a sudden there is no more letdowns. You're like, ah, hey, whatever, man, I don't care. You can beat me all day long. Yeah. Oh, man, yeah. I tell you stories at Ranger School, but the infantry officers
0: that would come through, Ranger school hated bat boys. They hated us because we were already used to sucking If you when you're a tabless, <laughs> a tabless bitch at Ranger battalion, you are not shit. It's the worst. It's worse than ripping Ranger school. Cause you are the shit, you're shit on a stick every right. day there. And they beat the hell out you there. So when we get to Ranger school, it's like, Oh my gosh, this is awesome. And, and cause you know, we're just, it's just normal beat downs. It's not anything. I mean, we, we're not eating and sleeping, but big deal. We don't eat and sleep when we're at the unit anyway. And, yeah. um, and, uh, and when guys, when the IRBC officers would come in, the RIs would start smoking us and all us bat boys would just be, ah, yeah, arr, ha, bring it on. Yeah. Ha, come on. <laughs> and the IRBC officers, all those officers would be like basic officers. Just, they would just be shut up. They're going to stop. They just shut up, quit egging them on. And we're like, you motherfuckers shut your mouth. They're going to smoke us whether you like it or not, or how well we do. That's what yeah. they do. So just enjoy it. And, that made it fun. I, I That's why range school, range school wasn't fun, but it made parts of it enjoyable because of the other bat boys. And that's how we learned. It was whatever. It's a, like you said, that's a great word. Hashtag whatever. Whatever. You can do it to me. It,
1: it's not going to change a thing. No. Nah. Yeah. Everything takes its course. If you're interested in another first-hand account from a combat veteran, check out our archives for the episode with Navy SEAL Jason Redman. More with Tonto after this break. Let's shift gears over to Glenn. I mean, we got to take that moment. Now, I don't know if you know, like, so I went through paramedic school um, with, uh, well, it's kind of split. So both of those guys were team three guys at one point in their Navy career, uh, Tyrone and Glenn. So I went through paramedic school with Tyrone. I was a new guy and he was like this, you know, good looking Greek God that had been around the block already several times. And it was super cool. Like as a new guy, he treated me pretty good considering the rest of the guys had been around the block and experienced, but they let me know every day that I didn't have my trident yet. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, as far as like getting, you know, being at paramedic school with a bunch of dudes with their tridents and I didn't have mine yet you know i knew i was in for it and so one day you know i you know i got taped to a spine board and you know and then all of a sudden you got 14 gauge needles being shoved into <laughs> every uh major muscle group <laughs> so, awesome. the sewing machine where they just go back and forth really fast with the biggest needle possible and just make you bleed out everywhere yeah
0: that's awesome i've uh, memory memories so, oh my god hazing right hazing, hazing is hazing. a good thing it's a good thing oh yeah. yeah it is
1: um so that was kind of the experience with tyrone and and then he uh god man I, I just don't remember seeing him too much once i got back and that's usually probably just deployment cycles training cycles you just don't see each other anymore but glenn now glenn was a good friend we did several deployments together in the navy and all that and uh for people that don't know uh you know according to stories and now you can you know obviously verify the uh he was in tripoli he was doing the the switch out with ty right so those guys were supposed to
0: they they were but then ty extended so when glenn came in and ty extended they said to send him to you know he went to tripoli instead yeah which is normal which is no and when that two weeks had ended when because myself boone and ty were all had extended when we were yeah, when we were supposed to head out, they would have brought him in as a replacement for for Ty Slot, and then brought two guys over from the yeah. states to replace us. So so yes, yeah, but he had been to Tripoli before. We'd worked together before. That's why he went back to Tripoli to wait to get back to Benghazi. So yeah, no, you're correct, and and yeah, uh, okay. I know I probably gave up way too much information.
1: <laughs> That's all right. So yeah, so you know, Glenn was up there, um, kind of had his own fight for you guys. Uh, right, trying to get assets and people in place and creating a rescue mission, really, right? Or
0: you know, and that's that's where I, I, I tell people, I said, you know, Glenn Glenn exemplified selfless service. He exemplified fat sacrifice. You know, he 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 knows that he saved two lives. He saved and that team that came with him. So there were three GRS operators, two Delta Force guys, an interpreter, and then then Glenn. They did. They they rented an all executives jet. They rented a nice. I mean, it was it was that so when we pulled up to the tarmac i'm like holy shit well, that's a beautiful and and they had the women they were in their they were in their uniforms when they saw oz come out and oz oz did say it and that you know me and oz have our differences but he did say something really cool i wish i thought it would and we put it in the movie he said i walked into this country i'm gonna walk out that wasn't movie script magic he said that shit and when i heard it i like dude I know you and I don't really get along, but that's fucking cool. <laughs> that's, that's bad. And, yeah. and and when he walked up, they did. They ran and got towels and were putting towels throughout the steps and then in the plane, did not bleed on the plane. They had no idea what they were coming to.
1: Yeah, so to clarify, the private jet that was probably rented with a very big bag of cash. A lot of money. A lot of money had stewardess with it. And the stewardess all of a sudden were now... Dealing with a bunch of bloody dudes, bloody dudes. And Dave was bloody. <laughs> yeah.
0: And Dave actually even started to do convulsions in the plane because we, he, a tourn- tourniquet, a tourniquet had come loose and we didn't know it.
1: And oh, we, we did
0: a check on him and we managed to get it back. Our, one of the Tripoli guys that came in <laughs> examined him and, uh, and got it tightened down. But uh yeah, yeah it was, it, it was Bub, And if Bub hadn't done that though, cause those two were about ready to bleed out. Dave was bleeding out. Oz was bleeding out. And, um, and if he hadn't done what he did, we would have had two more dead. So yeah. to me, that exemplifies heroism. If you want to know what a hero is, somebody that gives their lives to save others. And that's exactly what he did. Yeah. And, and he was fighting the bureaucratic bullshit in Tripoli as well. But, you know, luckily for him and the three other GRS guys that came with him and the two D boys that were with him, um, you know, they were able to they were able to get it done. And, and because of that, and I, and Glenn, you're, 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 like I said, I worked with Glenn, you're friends with Glenn, you're good friends with Glenn, you know, that he wasn't going to take no for an answer. That's not his way. I worked with him in Tripoli. He doesn't, he doesn't take no. It's like, dude, and him and Roan, he knew Roan was there. He knew Jack was there. And there was no way in hell he wasn't going to find a way. And the other guys were the same way. We're going to get over there and help him. And he saved lives, man. And, that, and that's heroism. That's that's a hero right there. And, and people need yeah. to remember that for forever. Because I, I I don't know why he hasn't got the gold medal, congressional gold medal yet. I I mean the people that get medals in DC the, for doing lesser things. Roan and him did so much to save lives. Roan was bandaging up my arm, running around, giving me water, making sure I was hydrated. Then go back up at the roof to fight. Then he'd run back down, go around, make sure everybody was hydrated, make sure all our, all our boo-boos were bandaged up. Then he'd go back up the roof and fight. Incredible. I mean, it was just, it was yeah. just unbelievable. And, and, and so, yeah, yeah.
1: That's, yeah, that is extreme leadership right there. I mean, geez, so awesome. So they end up on the roof together. Uh, and I, and if I got it right, I mean Glenn just showed up, right? He had just gotten there. He had just gotten there.
0: Uh, I remember. Yeah, and, and again, the movie I, I, it didn't portray Glenn as well uh, correctly as far as his. It got the one-liners in there. Yeah, but yeah. but but Toby, who played him, was Glenn doesn't Glenn isn't the hey knocked the I dare you to knock this battery off my shoulder mm-hmm. Robert Conrad sort of Glenn's a funny guy,
1: right? Um, right. So, uh, but he looks like Glenn though, a little bit. Yeah. No, he's, he's both. <laughs> the actor looked, I was like, damn, that does kind of look like, uh, Glenn Doherty right there. No, yeah, he
0: does. And Glenn's a Glenn is the crossfitter. So he's a little freaking fullback, man. Yeah. Yeah. He was, but I remember they came in and as they were coming in, I looked down and I saw him and I did, I said, Hey guys, better late than fucking never. Welcome to the party. I appreciate you. <laughs> and, um, yeah. I saw them all walk from my building and all of them except Glenn every one of them walked into building C and Glenn is the only one that went up to the rooftop. Damn. And, and that to me, dude, he's the bravest. He, they all knew what we were, what we were into. Yeah. And, and they can say, Oh no, well we, we all, we all were going to check in what was going on. No bullshit. You, you know that we need to be relieved because we've been at it now for it was like eight hours at that point. Yeah, And, and he's the only one that came up. And, and to me that, that shows who the courageous one was and who not saying the other ones weren't, but courage is here. Glenn was right here.
1: Yeah. He knew, he knew he had to get in the fight and, and help his buddies. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I, I know I experienced the same thing with him in Iraq. I mean, he wasn't going to back down. He was always right there. He was, he was squared away. Um, And just to, you know, highlight, and I do this every time, man, if Glenn Doherty's name come up, I make sure people know how cool he was. You know, he was, uh, before he even came in the Navy, that guy had lived an incredible life. He had hitchhiked across America following the Grateful Dead and probably smoking a lot of pot. Uh, He grew up in Boston where he wrestled, and his dad was the boxing commissioner, and so he boxed. I mean, so you talk about two different skills that make you a badass. It's wrestling and boxing. And he was great at all those. Um, he made his way up to Alaska, worked on a, one of those freaking dangerous-ass fishing boats. Then he comes down the coastline, ends up at a, around a damn campfire on a beach in L.A. And there's two team guys, two SEALs. They're like, hey, man, you should, uh, you should join the Navy. And Glenn's like, okay. And he went and joined the Navy. Uh, goes through Bud's. Ends up at SEAL Team Three. I meet him. We end up doing several platoons together. One of the greatest, nicest, kindest, well-rounded guys I think I've ever met. Um, and I say it all the time. He could talk about cheese and wine, but also the velocity of bullets and explosives, both equally an expert in.
0: He's cult- yeah. Very cultured. He's well. Yeah, we had Sean Lake on our, on our on Battleline on our podcast, Myian Podcast, last week uh, or two weeks ago, and you know he he explained because Sean hung out with him before.
1: Yeah. So we stuff. got, we
0: got all that stuff before. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> man. It, you know, And that, so it was really cool to hear you talk and then just coming on your show. Now, now we're leading to the after yeah. it's like, man, he, he did. He really did. You know, one thing Sean did say and, and, and Glenn, I, I didn't know this, but, you know, and, and it really touched me uh, uh, quite a bit is that Sean said that last summer before he went to, to Tripoli, because Glenn had gotten pushed several times because his clearance paperwork or something was jacked up. So he was, that's why he kept getting back and forth to Benghazi Tripoli. But he said, Glenn kind of knew at that because he just said it was weird. Glenn never asked me to take him to the airport, but he asked me to take him to the airport this time. Glenn lived a great life, lived a a free, but he said he even lived even freer, freer that summer than ever. And he always was just talking to me like he thought this was his trip. Like he knew. And, you know, I, and whether that's a downer or upper, I I don't, I don't know. I, I I don't say, but it still is to hear that it still touches even more so it makes a story and what happened that night even more special and heartbreaking as well. But it's special. Mm. It was because it's like, dude, the dude, the dude knew something was not right yet. He still got on that fucking plane yeah. and, and went that that's amazing to me. For some of you I have that gut feeling like, I mean, I may not get out of here. Okay. But I'm still going to get on that plane and get there. Yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah. I, 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 it, wow.
1: I know it's, it's odd. And at the lunch, I had lunch with him before months before this, this trip, he knew he was going, um, and had lunch with him. And for me, he was just like, yeah, I think this is my last one. I'm not, I don't think I want to do this anymore. And, 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 and honestly, I, I'd been talking about it. I'm like, I don't know why you do that. Right. I mean, like I, I get it. There's a thrill, but you get, you know, the inner workings of, you know, being, you get make great money, but at the end of the day, The support and even the job sometimes isn't really, you know, yeah. So, um, yeah, Glenn, great guy, great memories. And uh, anytime we can highlight these guys, everyone should. You should always talk about these guys. That's all they would want is tell good, funny stories, even the perverted ones if you got some. (laughs) They uh, They wouldn't have it any other way. You know, I wish I had some on Roan out of all of us there. And people have looked
0: at me in shock. sometimes. I said, Roan was probably the most straight laced out of the whole team there. And I get guys that work with Roan that look at me and go like, what? Are you sure that was the right Roan?
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: actually, yeah. Roan was the one that kept me from, there was another team guy that was an assistant team leader that came in that was, uh, he was, I'm sorry, he was a jackass. And he was trying to force guys to do things that that we don't normally do, trying to get him people to do tactics that he wanted us to do. It's like, dude, you're with seasoned guys here. Let them do what they all want to do. It works for them. And I I remember getting in his face and Roan is the one that said, "Hey, come on, man, come on, just get back to your room, dude. You don't need to get any of this. He's the one that – really saved me from, well, I lost my clearance anyway, but I wouldn't have <laughs> lost, I would have lost it then. And, you know, he he was always good. He was always the guy I could walk in and say something to and like, He's like the dad. It's like, yeah, Hey man, yeah. I, I I need to talk to you about this. And he would always talk me off the ledge. And I, 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 again, that's why I was just amazed at those two, because they, they really were doing things for us that were helping us prepare for that night before, before that night even happened without us even right. knowing. And that's, not to me, knowing, that's yeah. just amazing.
1: That is cool. So cool. Um, now let's kind of, you know, we'll skip forward to the the Hollywood experience. Of course, you know, that's always the guy who played you. I like that. That dude, I don't know his name. What's what's his name? Pablo Schreiber. Great guy. Yeah. What a, I've seen him in several movies and I'm not good at like actors' names. I just know their face and go, I like that guy um yeah so i think he did a good job probably portraying you right i mean it seems that way just getting to know you he he did he's i you
0: know out of all of us and i'm not i i know i'm biased i think he got was the most accurate out of yeah. all of us but that being said we spent the most time together too before the movie where we talked all the time he'd come to the house i would fly up to new jersey and hang out you know we and it wasn't like hey i'm hanging out with the Hulk. it was hey I, I want him to be accurate and he took the Anybody that takes their craft seriously, I admire. Yeah. I don't care what it is. I don't care if I agree with your craft or not. If you put the time in to do it correctly and go 110, percent I respect that. And he did. He right. wanted to get everything down to the to the dance, to the music I listened to, to do those goofy dances, and it, which was LAMFO. <laughs> it was. It was I'm six. Yeah. I mean, and it was also the the shorts. The tattoos are spot on. I mean, honestly, his tattoos look better than mine. The ones they drew on. It's like <laughs> yeah. shit. I wish mine looked that good. But um, but just and just the the jackassery and the and the downrange, you know. I, I, now at that time, I was I was very, I, I was very disrespectful to the AUC because honestly, I thought that to me they they treated us like we were secondhand citizens, like we were mm-hmm. just Walmart security guards. So if I could be condescending or or patronizing to them, hell yeah, I did. I was. I like, dude, you guys are not Jason Bourne. Every one of you thinks you are, but you're not. And he got that down. That the, the yeah, he hey, 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 hey. Hey, asshole, jackasses, you know, I, I don't think that much of you think of yourself, but also when the shit hits the fan, I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to work. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to make sure you're okay.
1: And I still can do your job.
0: Yes. And I I think you got it right. And, and yeah, he he did an excellent job. And, and this, even the weapons manipulation was spot on the shorts, you know, um, uh, the the only thing he didn't I, I had a Mickey Mouse shirt on that night I and we just couldn't put that in the movie I actually had a, a Disneyland the standard Disneyland Mickey Mouse shirt.
1: <laughs> yeah that sounds like how I still dress to this day I like it you know camouflage shorts flip-flops and some stupid t-shirt yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> man The only thing I wish he's bigger he's, he's like 6'3 245 so he's oh, like a yeah. lot, lot bigger than I, I am but but uh, yeah, but okay. he, he he did that. Yeah, it's a, I mean, I'm better looking. He's bigger. It's a trade off. It's a good trade off. I don't have a problem with that.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah.
0: But yeah, uh, yeah, and the rest of the actors did a great job too, getting to know their their doppelgangers. And f- to this day, Jack and John Krasinski, they look. If you put them side by side, they look damn near identical. And right. Jack Jack is that boy next door. Good father, good family. And, you know, and also all the family family problems that we all had and all the things we're going through. All of us were having babies or new kids. Tig just had twins. Jack was just having a new baby. I had a two-year-old daughter. You know, Roan just had a baby. He had baby Kai. Oh, so and, sad. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, no, it was really good. They did an excellent job portraying and getting all our mannerisms down and personalities down correctly.
1: Yeah. Well, it made for a great movie. And I was always sitting there wondering, like, I wonder what the guys think about this. Did they like it? But it seems like, yeah, you kind of liked it, right? We
0: did. We we yeah. got to be on set to fix stuff. I mean, there was yeah. one scene where Pablo had his, you know, on, on the 46, he pulled the charging handle back like this with his palm down, I'm like, dude if a ranger sees that in a movie, I told Mike, I was saying Michael Bay was right
1: there
0: (laughs) and they will walk out the movie. I said, do you got it? It's always palm up. And I was like, I like Pablo. I told you that even for the scene, when you rack that it's always palm up. He's like, can we do it again? And Michael's like, yeah, let's do it again. And they did the scene again. That's awesome. So yeah.
1: Yeah. It's important. Those little things are captured, man. That's what, that's what makes the movie even better. And, And the people that don't even know that stuff, it's better. They don't know why it's better, but it's because of those little technical skills. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, damn man, such good stuff. You know, I mean, there is a ton of stuff to hear to talk to you about. I mean, you know, let's, let's, let's end it on a good note with, you know, you, you were overseas, you've done all that. Yeah. And I, I like the human factor where we all have been overseas dealing with the problems back home. And I think that's the part people forget. It's not, we go overseas and we're turning off, Home and turning on, you know, operator mode. It's uh, no, it's all on and it's all in your face constantly. Um, You know, I know that on one of my deployments, I was in the middle of a divorce. You know, and I was. I remember. I remember calling one of my buddies, going, "Hey, um, so my wife is over at this one place. Can you go over and give her the divorce papers for me?" (laughs) And so he was like. You really want me to go give your wife divorce papers while you're over there? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Just just go over and just hand them to her. And, uh, and I know I know it's uncomfortable, but just hand it off and say, hey, see you later. <laughs> you know. And so, I mean, it was uh, it was horrible, and she still gives me hell to this day. But it had to be done. So you know, you're over there, and uh, I'm sure you know you're being dad. You're having to be dad, and uh, just like I did, he had to play, had to play dad and play operator at the same time. It, it's it's tough and in
0: and, and um yeah I, I, there's there's the one scene there's the scene in the, and I, I love it because it's it's so spot on it really encompasses all of our issues and all issues guys have overseas in that one scene it's where i'm you know showing the rabbit humping you know talking to my wife and that's how i did i talked to her i joked her and like hey yeah i'm i'm gonna be quicker than this when i get home and i do the show the rabbit humping and you know, take some a second to to, 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 to do his yeah, thing in the say, female, rabbit is and the blow his load in the good. female rabbit. But then also, you know, just that you're taking the trees down, you know, Hey, we got to take the tree down. I'll, I'll be yeah. home in a little bit. No, we need to do it now. You know, just a normal or, and Oz's daughter, she, he, she was uh, that 16 year old from what I remember, what he talked about. She, she was a, a true 16 year old getting into trouble, starting to drink and having to manage that. And, it, and it's stressful and you have to, what I would do is, is after I got the phone call, I just would like, well, she's got it. You had to trust, you had to trust your, your, your significant other. You had to, I, yeah. I, you know, my wife's awesome. I had to trust that she could get it done. And at that point, you know, she'd been doing it for 10 years. Plus the eight years I was in the military, you know, we got married and the next week I was at Ranger school. We never had a, we never had a honeymoon. Yeah. Uh, my honeymoon, later, yeah, my honeymoon <laughs> was was Fort Benning, Georgia by myself. Yeah. So, um, So uh, at that point I was confident, whatever she could handle, she could handle it. But, but it was, it was tough, especially with my two-year-old daughter, my six, my, my son at that point, you know, Christian, um, uh, he was, uh, Christian was, um, he was six at the time. And, uh, it it was just trying to be, trying to be that good dad and, and trying to still be part of their lives, even though I was been gone for damn near 75% of it, you know, and. And it hits you home and you have to. You have to get off the phone and not be like, God dang, I'm missing another Halloween. I'm missing another Christmas. I'm missing a birthday. I missed both their birthdays on that yeah. on that deployment. It's like, okay, I, I'm here with the guys. As soon as I hang up the phone, okay, let's refocus back on what I got to do here. Right. Or, or And normally what I would do if we didn't have an op, I'd, I'd go to the gym. I, we had a little prison gym there. The movie portrays it actually spot on. That's what it looked like. I'd, I'd go work out because that kept my mind off something else. Then, yeah. then where if you can go down a rabbit hole where if you're like, man, I just need to be home. I need to be home where I need to be home. Well, you can't work like that. I, I don't know how you operated going through a divorce. My brain would be completely worried about something else. And you know, as good as I do, you have to have your focus on the job or not just you're going to die, but you may cause your buddy to die. And that's even worse. That's like, so it was, it was turning that, that off, turning that, as soon as I hung up the phone, turning that family off, knowing that she's got it. And if there's a problem, I can't do anything about it from here. I can't worry about it. Yeah, I got to refocus on stuff I have control of, which is what I operate here on. But I won't tell you, I was able to do that the first time I deployed in 2003. I I wasn't, I, you know, it was, it was having to adjust to, okay, I can't do anything. Letting go of control, something you have no control of because you don't, because as soon as you hit that Skype and you're off, all right. All right, let's get back to what I can do here. And that was control going to the gym or having an op or going in, you know, going in playing Call of Duty with the guys if that's the thing to get your head off of it.
1: Uh, and yeah. it's tough, bro. It really it is. I, I agree. I, uh, I I think we have become masters of compartmentalizing our emotions, compartmentalizing everything that we got going on in order to just get through the deployment and in it and then it backfires because later on in life, now I gotta figure out how to uncompartmentalize all this stuff, um, you know, and, and figure it out. And, uh, you know, therapy, you know, you, for us, when you get to like a tier one command, sometimes you got to like do some debriefs with therapists. <laughs> and so, or, or, or I went to NICO, right. I was admitted to Walter Reed for 30 days straight. And all you're doing is talking to shrinks every day and, and doing medical appointments. But in that you learn like, okay, there's a, there's, 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 the three buckets, right. There's the bucket of control, right? There's things you can control, things you cannot control and things that you can influence positively. And so if you can't take a problem in your life and you you just have to realize it's going to go in one of three buckets and then once it's in the bucket, then you go, okay, I'm good there, right? At least temporarily until it pops out of the bucket and you're back to going, okay, which bucket does this go in again? <laughs> so Yeah. It's, uh, it was, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I'm still, I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> it's all, it's all, t- but that's what we do. Yeah. I and mean,
0: that's, and you know, I admitted myself into, uh, into the VA hospital here just to, I did it in my, I, I mean, I got, I got to go talk to somebody. I got to get in here and I, you know, yeah. I, I, and that's what I did. And so there's no shame in it. I tell guys, dude, that's the only way you're going to, be able to get through it. Right. You got to talk to somebody now. Now I'm am I, I, I'm in a good place where you know, my wife can talk to my wife about things now. So I have that that outlet. Um, but as a contractor, it was even harder hard, because we didn't get that debrief time. It was you're on a plane, you're a civilian. You're flying on a plane, you're there. You're flying on a plane, you go home. You're in DC maybe for a day to give your DIP passport back and do a little debrief. And then you're back home. And so it did. It took me about 30 days to feel like I was yeah. back home. And, right. and my wife got it. She actually understood it she, she, she was like, she, she goes, she would even tell me, man, during those days, I just stayed away from you for at least two weeks. Yeah. Um, my kids caught the brunt of that though, because they didn't understand that. My, my two oldest and mm-hmm. I still feel bad as a bad dad because I did. I, I was angry. I when I come home, I'd be two weeks of just anger or, you know, just yes. angst or, or stress. And they just wanted to play and they just wanted to be loud. They wanted to be kids, what kids do. And it was like, you guys can't do that. Your dad's going to freak out. Your dad's going to, you just got to stop doing that. And it took me a while to get that under control, but my kids suffered my two. And I, I feel bad about that because my five-year-old now he's, I get to do everything I didn't get to do with my, my 16 and my 12 year old or my, my 12 year old. And, um, and so as a dad, you know, I, I I'm not going to tell you guys that you won't feel regret guys that are going out and want to do this. You, you might feel a little regret down the oh, road. Yeah. You're going to have to live with it, <clears throat> but it's, it's the catch 22. If yeah. I, if I didn't do that, well, now I'm going to re- re- I'm going to I'm going to regret not doing the job I did. So it's like you got you're just gonna you're gonna have to sacrifice. Everybody sacrifices whether you're in combat or not. You're gonna sacrifice something. And just like you said with the three buckets, that sacrifice right
1: there, whatever yeah. bucket it goes into, you're still sacrificing something. Hell yeah, you are. And it's uh, for me, I had to always go okay, if I'm doing this for the greater good, right? The belief that I am every everything I do overseas is for the greater good of not just not just America and the United States, it's for the greater good of the globe. Then I'm good with whatever it is that I've got to play catch up on later. I really am, you know, and it, it, it and you got to talk yourself, you know, like all that self talk, right? Okay, okay, you know, this is for the greater good. This is for, this is for, you know, so good prevails over evil. And you keep telling yourself that and you know, it's true because there's no other reason why I would be doing or anybody would be doing it, you know? And, uh, and ultimately that's connected ultimately to your family is the point, right? You're, you're actually still doing something for your family. It's just kind of a, a fucked up way. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. You're
0: you're right. That's how you rationalize it. Doing something bigger than yourself. But, I, I I'm glad, and and we all wanted the guy wanted Michael to get this in the movies when Ron and Jack were up on the rooftop talking, and you know, as he was right, like we we are warriors aren't warriors aren't trained to retire. That's a great line. That's a great because it's the truth. We're not, and yeah. it's. But then with Ron saying, and he and we all believe this at this point. Um, you know, when we first started doing it going overseas, the global war on terror, you know, in the early two thousands. It was something bigger. By that point there, all of us had been doing it for so long, we realized, wait a second, this isn't really yeah. what we were doing it for in the beginning. Now it's for control. Now it's to overthrow dictators. What the, what, what are we, doing? now it's to destabilize nations. And I remember Ron saying, and saying, man, that something bigger has gone. And mm. that resonated so much to me because that, at Benghazi, we had, started to, we had started to be, even before the attack, we had started to figure that out after 10 years. Like, man, that remember how we felt with in 2003 going into Iraq or, oh, or, yeah. or going into you know Kandahar and doing that? It wasn't that feeling anymore. And mm. that's why all of us were like, hey, OK, this is this has got to be the last trip or we're, we're coming towards the twilights of our career. It was because we couldn't muster that feeling that you just said of, yeah, all right, we're doing this for the good because it wasn't like, oh, my gosh, are we the enemy now? Are we the bad guys now? And operators are intelligent guys. We're not a bunch of knuckle draggers, even though we like to portray ourselves as that. Operators are like, and all of us there were like, man, I, I I don't know. This isn't the same as when we first started doing this, and I'm not sure this is the right thing we're doing because we really did screw up Libya. Libya was way better off before we got in. So yeah, I I love what you said. You were spot on, but um. That's why I think a lot of us were coming. Okay. We're, we're, we're done. I think we're done with this. I probably would have done a few more trips just because it's hard to get that. It was fun. I enjoyed it, Yeah. but I wasn't doing it for the same reasons that I was started with in Oh three.
1: Yeah. I, I, I can totally see that. Definitely had my waves of, uh, wait, what, what are we doing again? What's this whole policing the world? Shit. Exactly. I don't want to be a police of the world. Fuck that. If special operations in dangerous places is your thing. Check out my book, The Right Kind of Crazy, wherever books are sold. More with Chris Peronto after this. Um, well, I don't know that we can replicate a Benghazi. That's for damn sure. There's no way. You lived and you have made it through that and you survived it. But we do have a hypothetical survival world for you to try and get through. Keep in mind, okay? Keep in mind, people can come back to life uh, Cars that are wrecked can all of a sudden work. Um, this is uh, this is Can You Survive This Podcast, okay? So we run shit differently around here. There's definitely some key, um, well, I would say, hints that are uh, sprinkled throughout properly. All right? Are you ready? Yeah, let's okay. it. The world has begun to reopen. Hmm. The pandemic has waned. People are doing things again. Thank God. You're in New York City giving a motivational speech. Okay. Uh, You find yourself back at a very lovely hotel in Manhattan where you're going to sleep until your trip home the next day. Okay. Annoyingly, the elevators are out of order. Okay. So you got to take the staircase to your room. All right. But you're lucky it's only the second floor that you got to go up to. So no big deal. But oddly, they have put two king size beds in your room which actually could be fun if you used them properly. Uh, but you are staying alone. Damn it. Um, and you know what else is annoying? They, uh, they went ahead, uh, while you were taking a shower, you noticed that there's some ceramic tiles that look like they're about to fall off the wall, but it's New York, even though it's a five star, the tiles in the bathroom, uh, are looking pretty, pretty loose, kind of like they're women. But, uh, Yeah, we won't go there. (laughs) But anyways, I digress. Um, As you get to the second floor, you look back down at the lobby, right? It's one of those where you come out your hotel room and you kind of see down into the lobby and everything. Um, And you see armed dudes entering the hotel, all right? Uh, They're fanning out quickly. They almost look like they know what they're doing, okay? Do you, A, leap over the railing, okay? jumping your way back down into the lobby so that you can escape or B just quickly get to your hotel room. Oh, those are my only two options. You only have two options in this world. And sometimes they're both right, but Hey, you, the only right one is the one we pick, not the one you pick. At my at my age, jumping off the second floor, I'd break a
0: leg. <laughs> I'd, I'd be, yeah. I'd be out of the fight. So I, I got to get to my motel room. Just about my, maybe you asked me when I'm 20 yeah, I'm jumping down and being Batman all over yeah. again. But at my age right now, I'd be out of the fight.
1: I'm with you. My knees can't handle that shit anymore either. Okay,
0: my knees would go. Like-
1: That's a good answer. Since the gunmen are on their, are they, they are on their way up the stairs, jumping would likely cause injury and draw unnecessary attention to yourself, right? I mean, they haven't—they they may not have even seen you yet, and all of a sudden you go jumping into action. Right. <laughs> um, and you you decide, yes, you're going to go to your room, and you're going, going to assess what your next steps will be, yeah. Um, you hear a couple of gunshots. Uh, you are unarmed, because you're in New York, of course. Um, and what do you do next, all right? Do you A... Take a minute, collect yourself before exiting the room and sprinting to whatever exit route you can find, or B, you're going to crack the door open a bit and pick out and try to assess and get eyes on the threats.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I always like to get eyes on. I know cracking. You got to be careful. You got to walk under the door, though, to make sure there's nobody standing right outside the door. Hopefully, you're seeing a shadow if there's a big enough crack. Yeah. Um, I, I, You still have to assess the situation. Uh, I, you know, there's probably a threat there. Now it's bad, but still to make a good good decision, I'm still assessing. At this point, I am. At my age, again, 30 years old, I'm probably going gung-ho and going out the door and, and doing, but at my age yeah. now, no, I, I still am trying to war game it. Okay, what right. the hell is going on here before I do something really dynamic that's not necessary at this point? And I don't right. have a gun. I mean, what am I going to do when I get in the hallway?
1: So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're spot on once again. And what I take away from that, too, is what most people don't know is gunshots fired indoors versus gunshots fired in outdoors, right? Indoors, gunshots are 10 times louder and, and, and omnidirectional. Like, you don't know. Where that gunshot came from, so your eyes are definitely more trustworthy than your ears, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's a, that's a great point. And if that lobby, that acoustics in that lobby, you're right; they'll reverberate that sound. That's a great point. And I yeah. didn't really, I didn't really think of that. No, that's a, that's a great
1: point. Yeah. Um. So, but ultimately, staying calm and assessing the threat, I think is yeah, you're spot on. It's a great idea. Um. Peeking out, you know, it may even be impossible. Um. And but you should at least try to get eyes on. Uh, the best you can and so that you can do that what we're all used to look listen feel right um you see a gunman as you peek you see a gunman about about to turn down your hallway uh, you close the door gently uh in without them noticing you okay what do you do next a barricade the door to the room or b hide in the bathtub um
0: yeah, that's a good place to. Now, I, I, I'm I barricading the door. Giving right. me more time that it, so if something has happened, it gives me a couple extra seconds to again reassess because now my OODA, my OODA loop's going crazy now. My OODA loop, right. and now I'm trying to maintain it where I'm not having to reassess my OO, and redo my OODA loop over and over and over again. So at least if that's up on the door and he tries to get in. Now I know there's a threat. At least now I know, oh, shit, somebody's yeah. trying to get in my room where if it's in the bathtub, I still really don't know if these guys are bad guys or good guys or not. Maybe they're an overzealous PSD team with their young 20-year-old that's clearing with his gun <laughs> out because his team leader wasn't a good trainer and didn't teach him the right way. Hey, keep that thing in your pants before you don't need people showing it. Um, right. uh, no, it is because I you know in Iraq, I, I had to, with PSDs, on the hotels that were working in the early 2000s, you had yeah. guys like that that would come guns out to a hotel that was safe like the sheridan oh, where, Yeah, where, yeah where ngos were in, you had to like guys put that fucking thing away you're right, gonna right. cause more problems so i again i i'm still assessing and at least having that up on the door if he tries to get in well now i'm kind of re- i'm kind of understanding his intentions you know, yeah. bang, okay now his intentions are probably bad now i know what direction i need to take to defend myself but it's also giving me that split second to, again, if I have to reset my OODA loop, which I probably am, gives me the split second to come up with a plan or go off habitual movements. What have I done before in this situation? So yeah. I, I, I just giving you more time. Like we always say, create more space between you and the threat. Well, that's what I'm doing. I'm creating more more time space. So it gives me more time to have a have a reaction whether it's right or wrong i don't know but it gives me a good time to at least think about that reaction
1: no those are excellent points excellent points and for those of you that don't know the ooda loop that it refers to is ooda and it's a situational awareness tool that was designed by a fighter pilot so that you could get inside your adversary's head um, and try and get ahead of him at mock speed and so it stands for uh, observe is the first o Uh, the second o is orientate the, and then decide and then act. So OODA loop for short. And it's a great tool for, uh, you know, having to make decisions or get inside your adversary's head uh, in a split second. You know, you observe what's going on. You orientate yourself to the threats. Come up with some decisions and then act on those decisions as quickly as possible. Great points. And then time. Yeah, I, I say it all the time. Any, any, any opportunity you have to put make time an adversary... Or, I mean, make time an ally versus an adversary, you should. So, barricading the door definitely the right answer. And, and, and there's a right and the wrong way of barricading doors that, for those of you listening, it, it's not about stacking a bunch of stuff up the door. It's more about using the furniture in the room, and you put one piece against the door. And then you put the next piece of furniture up against that piece of furniture and you're creating a line of furniture from the door across the room uh, to the opposing wall. So now the opposing wall becomes your barricade. And no one can open that door once you do this. Um, No one. But there's a right and a wrong way of doing it. So door wedges can be jammed. You know obviously under the door too so door stops things like that if that's all you have furniture uh, remember furniture that has drawers the drawers also become another piece of furniture because you're trying to create a a a line of stuff Um, so anyway you get the door barricaded Um, and now uh, speaking of potential stray bullets because you start hearing gunfire what do you do a lay down in the bathtub or b create some improvised body armor Remember the hints I gave you earlier? (laughs) Shit,
0: I knew I should have wrote this stuff down. (laughs) What did I have? Um, You know, bathtub is, depending on what it is, but maybe the new bathtubs now, if the old cast iron bathtubs, I would say, hell yeah. All right, let's at least utilize that possibly. But you're still putting yourself, you're trapping yourself in an area though, when you do that. I I, want to have some space. I I would make improvised body armor with something, or put something, have some sort of cover. That you can put around you. Yeah. I I, I want to be. I just be, I want to be able to still move. Where where when I'm going to the bathroom, I'm basically trapping myself in a
1: dead in, in. a possible
0: kill zone. Yeah, and in, in granted, and the bathtub, you know, it's, <laughs> it's it's they're not like they used to be. Uh, maybe New York City is, but even so, it's still to me whether it's bulletproof or not, a cast iron tub or not. You're still you're you got nowhere to go. If they get in the room, you got nowhere to go. You're stuck. Yeah. Um, no nah, so but I can't remember what you said I had on me so whatever I whatever you said I had on me that's what
1: yeah, yeah. I'm making You have loose ceramic tiles loose ceramic tiles there you go there you go you nailed it though you still answer correctly so you get the points um, so it's possible to create some improvised body armor using ceramic tiles. ceramic tiles are it's, it's a incredible even like the the 59 cent subway white tiles you can get at like a home depot you stack a couple of those up you you're stopping rounds right it's so cheap but ceramic displaces the energy of around like no other you know product out there it's amazing um, and so you can take a couple of those you can take some books you can stack them all together and you're a ranger you've got riggers tape in your backpack I know you do
0: I got it in 550 cord down 550 my pants cord. so yeah I got, yeah. I got everything. Yeah, I, <laughs> I
1: got it all man yeah so it, you know point being is there's a lot of stuff around us and you brought it up cover that can, that can be used to stop bullets and uh, you should identify these things ahead of time um but you know that was a tough question uh but it gives us the opportunity to educate which is always the goal um so next uh do you hide in the closet all right or b create a repelling harness to escape discreetly
0: i i'm not i i don't if it's rash i'm not one that's gonna hide i think when you're hiding and you're hiding yourself um yeah. on your own okay now if you have a family yeah, my family we're getting we're getting somebody breaking the house yes i'm putting them in a closet but i also have body armor in that closet i'm putting an actual body armor <laughs> yeah. and then then i'm going to address the threat but no i you still you cannot completely go on the defense you you still have mm. to regain that initiative which is that ooda loop you want to start having him reset his ooda loop and you can't do that from the closet yeah. um so yeah, and you know, it's if you have, I'm only on the second floor, so I mean, I got two king size beds. So, man, oh my gosh, just the sheets in itself, and you can do a quick little knot on those things, and you have yeah. the ability to escape. There you go. I, I mean, you've, you've got You're you've, and I, I'm sure. So I know, and I think people don't think of that because they think of the movies and think, oh, that's a movie thing. No, it's it works. You can tie sheets together, and they're going to hold. It, it doesn't yeah. even if you just do a shit knot on them. They're going to hold for two stories, um, ten stories. Okay, no, probably that's probably not an option. Pushing but it. but two stories, yeah. And I said yeah, that I did remember the, I don't know why I remember the king size beds, but I did.
1: <laughs> I did. Yeah, there you go.
0: Um, so you got a lot of you got a lot of sheets. You got a lot of lot of lineal foot,
1: linear right. footage. So you know, ten, you know, if you just go with regular size king size sheet, from from corner to corner, like diagonally, that's twelve feet, twelve feet, and then. You know, we know that one story is roughly 10 feet. So you're going to use a foot on each end of that king-size sheet for your knots. You got a foot. That's a lot to work with, you know, to create a basically the worst whammy knot in the world that no one can undo, right? And then once you put weight on that knot, no one's really going to be able to undo it. Um, so, you know, it's really about thinking outside the box and knowing that there's a lot of stuff that can rescue you around us every day uh, sitting there on your desk, uh, on in your office, in your home, uh, when you're out buying groceries, we've got stuff around us all the time that can help get you, get yourself out of a bad situation. Um, so anyway, you, you create a Swiss seat with one sheet and then you go ahead and create a line, um, uh, with the other sheets. Uh, so you've tied multiple sheets together to create the rope. You've got your Swiss seat around you. Um, with your improvised body armor your harness and the rope attached to you do you a hop out the window and get out of there or b you got to secure the rope oh wait yeah you got to secure the rope got to secure <laughs> someone oh my god
0: and again you got two. you got two king-size beds you're in new york city even the and especially the old hotels if you're ever there they have the old beds with the legs some of them even have hard wooden legs some of their dressers too and if even if you're at the cheap hotels because of people stealing stuff they will actually bolt things down in the room i mean even the tvs especially so you i whatever you're at a newer hotel older hotel you got to secure yeah i mean you don't have to secure if you want to fall 24 feet but i would secure (laughs) it yeah good
1: idea it was a little bit of a trick question but it brings up a point that under stress you know sometimes you you forget the simplest things right it's uh jump out the window and you you fall and break a leg because, uh, well, I forgot to... I did all that work to create the rope. I built a harness. I got body armor on, and then I didn't tie it off. Um, so you never want to hop out the window without actually trying uh, to tie off the rope, you know, obviously. Okay. Um, now, that the, the, now that your uh, improvised rope is securely tied off, do you, A, exit through the window and repel to safety, or B, place a towel or or, wind or pillow at the bottom of the window opening... For your improvised rope to glide across,
0: uh, it depends. That it's probably it's it's good. That's that's a friction point. It's going to rub. Um, yeah. If it's metal, I, I you know whether regardless what is metal, wood, vinyl, whatever wood, it's still a friction point. Yeah. And having some of that extra padding will give you you know it's less likely of the of the sheets or your improvised rope to 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 rip. And hey, sure, who knows? You may need to use it again, or maybe. First responders come and they, hey man, there's an access point if you need to get into my room and they need to use it for something. So, right. uh, it's yeah, I, I would yeah. put a, a towel or something down because of that friction and yeah. it doesn't matter what it is it does
1: and especially and especially if it's steel and especially if i had to break the window bingo yeah right there you broke that window because a, a lot of hotels to prevent the whole suicide thing you, you've got to literally throw a chair through the window or something and that glass could potentially cut your line and you don't want that um all right great answer obviously you're on track you've got uh yeah you've gotten all the all the questions right so far um Okay, so now that you're on the ground, you're out of the building. Do you a ditch the rope and the improvised body armor and blend into the night, evading danger, or b move from cover to cover around to the front of the building and assess the enemy's position? I already know what you're gonna do. I, I
0: no, I gotta assess. I can't <laughs> run away. Yeah. I know. I mean, honestly, I, I, I think that's a fit. You know, Clint. If I, if I was teaching somebody a new person, I would probably tell them that and say, "Hey, go get a first responder." right but i i'm i'll be no i would i i whether it's wrong or not i i could live with yeah. live with myself um be, so yeah i i would still assess and the reason being is because maybe i still can't help out now i don't have a gun i'm not batman there is no such thing as batman guys out there there's not i'm telling what? you right now okay. I, I'll be, unless you're batman i'm batman <laughs> but um, i wish yeah but um assessing Just for assessing, so when first responders do come on station, you can give them as much information as possible because that could save their lives as well. Right. And and as we've also seen too, some first responders, depending on their department, don't get a ton of training. So them having as much information as possible will help them be successful and you want to set them up for success as well. Um, So yeah, I, I would cover to cover definitely, at least initially, even if I was running away, I still would at least a few cover to cover before like, yeah. Oh shit. Okay. Diddy mouth. Let's go. <laughs> <Not pump alarm. laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I couldn't, I, I would, I would assess, I, I would still try to stay far enough away though, that I'm, they're not going to see me. Um, right. so it's, it's tough. It's tough. But you're in New York city too. There's a lot of, yeah. there's a lot of places to hide and duck, Dutch, duck, dodge, dive, duck.
1: That's right. The, the, the D's, the, all those D's. Um, well, You are, you're spot on once again. Both of these are right answers and your experience and the situation really dictate. And I think you're right. You know, a very experienced Benghazi survivor, ranger, CIA guy certainly is going to pick answer B, moving cover to cover, round to the front of the building, assess the enemy's position. Now, if you are just someone trying to just You know, survive and live. Then, of course, a right, just ditch the rope, ditch the body armor, and you know, disappear into the night, and hopefully give some information to the right people. I I I totally agree with you, man. Um, so you choose to go into uh, you know savage mode, and uh, as you get closer to the front of the building, you realize you are now standing behind an armed lookout. All right, he's a bad guy. He has no idea. so do you a just mm, do I really want to go down this path and I'll just disappear into the shadows. It's not my problem anymore. I'm good to go. I'm still alive or B elbow strike, elbow strike that fucker in the head and knock him out cold and take his weapon.
0: I don't know if I'm strong enough to do an elbow strike in the head. I know you said <laughs> a lot of guys are, but yeah, again, it's, and this isn't bravado. This is a tough guy thing. This isn't, yeah. it's not, it's, no, I I couldn't live with myself, man. I, I would if I if I couldn't elbow strike him get him down. I'm gonna find a way to to, to get him out of the fight take and to and to take and to acquire his weapon. Well, what would be your preferred method? Uh, with my little my little ass, you know, actually an elbow strike to the back of the head with me would still, if you've ever been guys, if you've ever even been little judo chopped in the back of your neck or the back of the head, you're gonna flash. You're gonna go out for for a second, yeah. for a split yeah. second. So I I would I think my elbow that hit have him go out for a split second and then just crank rear and crank the shit down on him yeah it, it cr- and it would it would bring him down and crank it down and, and and that's one thing i am good at
1: is uh and that's from get into the clinch or some grappling moves yeah and choke him out
0: come in and, ch- and that's luckily because when i was at Ran- range of town very blessed that was during the gracie days that's just when we thought the gracie's were the greatest thing since sliced bread and we did that over and over right and over. right and we actually had the gracies come and teach us so that was ground fighting back in those days and i am I'm, I'm that's one of the things i am good at i i can strike but you guys i'm not i'm 160 pounds um but yeah blasting in the
1: back of the head something here go. will yeah. always
0: turn the lights out even
1: for a second give you the advantage yeah it's great. I think at a minimum, people need to know: hey, create pain, and then you can, you know, increase your distance, increase the survivability or separation. Um, and then, for someone like you, though, and in this scenario, you neutralize the enemy, and uh, now you have his gun. Okay. So, last question: Do you a re-enter the building and take everyone out like fucking Rambo? Rambo went to Ranger school, right? Rambo was or, a ranger. Yeah, he was. Or, or B. <laughs> You disappear into the shadows call the cops and let them handle it bring on the death blossom no i wouldn't do that no 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 No, i i did i no
0: i you got you you have the weapon at least you've got a weapon out of the fight now you have something to defend yourself with but no the you you have to call for spawners and you need more people honestly you need more people on your side or maybe yeah. I'll go and I start asking guys, are you a seal? You're a ranger? Okay, come on with me. Let's go. And, and we'll take it. But, you go. Uh, no, no, I, yeah. I, 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 no, in all seriousness, though, I, I I don't care how good you are. More guns are generally generally going to win, especially if you don't have a defensive position, which, I mean, I'm not going to start shooting at them and cause chaos from that. But if you don't have a position like we had in you know, a building we were able to fight off more guys. Yeah. We mm-hmm. were great, but that was our fighting position. That was the rules. They were coming at us, so forth. In that yeah. point, i still, they still don't know I'm there, correct? I've neutralized. They still don't know, yeah. you know I'm there for, okay. Yeah.
1: yeah. Then, no, I'm 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 finding first responders. I think it's, um you know, that's, the, there's no wrong out there, right? I mean, the reality, I think reality for an experienced person, they know that if I go into that lobby with my one gun by myself, and I know that all the bad guys are on the second floor from an elevated position that can look down on the lobby. It's a bad. That's a bad situation. But it, and, but you could do both. You can call nine one one. You can get, bring in the the cavalry and join in. But the reality is is there's the ego, the alpha male in us that would go, yeah, I'd go in and wipe everybody
0: out. And you see you see me th- you see me <laughs> yeah. still thinking that, going, God, yeah. I should. But but you're spot on right because that's yeah. one of the reasons why we were able to. You know six of us were able to handle the forces that came in because we were elevated
1: you had the position of, we had the of position they've
0: got now. us they've got us and people also don't realize that after one gunshot goes it's not like the movies per se where people stand and fight all the time people start to scatter and run yeah. so you shoot one guy i'm gonna get that guy most times maybe you'll get a a guy that's not trained and they'll freeze for a second but if those guys have guns, I'm assuming they've been somewhat trained, a little bit, mm-hmm. and they know either like we would hit the deck, find cover, get out of whatever line of fire you're in, or just just move and not just stand there and be a target. Or, but again, maybe I would have got lucky and shot one, and they all just stood there and froze, and then I can just <laughs> <Yeah>. take out. <laughs> silhouettes. <laughs> but um, that's a tough one, man. I I, I still am kind of in the back of my head going, man, would I maybe should I've done should not, should I've gone in there? But I, I I still think the most common sense answer and the best answer is yeah, you you need you need backup.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's coming from a very seasoned guy and Tonto, you certainly survived this podcast. So congratulations. I hope it, it wasn't too bad for you and I uh Yeah, those are fun. That's
0: I think awesome. you're sweating. You're
1: getting a little glossy. I think you're sweating. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking myself,
0: oh my gosh. But yeah, that's it. you know, if you have your family, that whole situation changes.
1: Oh, definitely, man. Yeah, as soon as you got kids involved, it's like I ain't sticking around to be the hero. Fuck no. I'm getting my family to safety and that becomes the priority, no doubt about it. But great job, great answers obviously answers with uh, an immense amount of experience back behind it uh, dude I appreciate you coming on the show it is uh, it's been an honor to have you here you're a survivor you're a fighter um, everything you've been doing has been great so please tell the audience where they can find you what you've got going on uh, let's let's hear let's hear everything you got
0: well, we, we've, I said you're on our podcast, bro, and I appreciate that. It did extremely well. So myself and Ian Scotto have Battleline Podcast. We do ours every – it's on every Monday. Tremendous. Hear Clint's episode. He was amazing. That was just last month, wasn't it? It was just a few episodes so, yeah. ago. Yeah. But um, Battleline Podcast, it's, it's very inspirational, and we have – most of our guests are special operations or military – military uh personnel or government personnel and it is it's inspirational stories more so than getting into politics it's just a hey, how did you overcome adversity um yeah. and then battle line tactical my training company that i teach me and first ranger bat ben morgan that's our company that we go and we go around the country and teach and we do about eight courses a year is all but it's it's fun and there we have one coming up in lake geneva wisconsin um, we have ones coming up in in south carolina and and Chicago and also Fort Worth, Texas, and outside of Nashville. And just go to battlelinetactical.com and you can see our schedule or cristanoparano.com and click the battle line drop down and you can see and sign up for classes. We also have one more in Shreveport at Red River Gun Range in October, which is that's a fun one. That's that's a Great. blast out there. And then um, and then just ChristanoPorano.com and in the vodka. I had a veteran. A uh, Vietnam veteran approached me that was a moonshiner. His dad was a moonshiner. I mean, his grandfather was a moonshiner. His dad was a moonshiner. He's a moonshiner, and uh, now he has Dalton Distillery. And he asked if I would wanted to do a whiskey. And I said no. There's too many veteran whiskeys out there. How about we do a vodka?
1: Oh.
0: And he's like, yeah, we'll do corn, and it's corn, corn, uh, corn still. Uh, that what's that made out of corn? I don't know how they distill it, but ton- Tono vodka, and uh, yeah, I just started doing that, and it it and it took off we it's i'm finding out that's a hard way to go but have distributors in colorado so we have it in colorado and georgia right now and also we'll have a direct to consumer shipping to state of nebraska and i'm working on nevada and arizona right now but that's that's been fun and that was also working with the with with veterans working with the old vietnam veteran and then also my my first ranger bat buddy ben morgan's part of that as well so a lot of stuff and then real chris tono on instagram and facebook i don't do twitter Twitter's Twitter's just mean. I, I, Twitter's terrible. Uh, but um, yeah, if you want to check me on Instagram or, or Facebook, you can. And, and you know, as much as I hate social media, mm. in in my line of work right now, and, and you know, the same thing, same thing, Clint. It's a necessary evil. But right. try to always try to always keep it positive. And guys, if you're looking for political statements anymore out of me. I'm out of that realm guys. I don't do that anymore. So I apologize about, yeah. about not being political. I'm very apolitical now, but that's where you can find him. Yeah. Check it out.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Tonto. There you go. You can find him at real Chris Tonto pronto uh, at battle line Pod podcast and at official battle line tactical. So go find him. sign up for a course. Uh, obviously I think it's obvious they will not be let down by any of your training so thank you again and hey for all of you out there remember to keep it simple because crisis will complicate the rest see you next time Can You Survive This Podcast is a production of Calvary Audio and iHeartMedia recorded live from a secure location here in Dallas, Texas produced by Brandon Morgan Jeff Apple and Clint Emerson executive produced by Keegan Rosenberger and Dana Brunetti. For Calvary Audio, I'm Clint Emerson.